Here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Happy TGIF to you. Yeah, happy Friday. One of the best days of the week, in my opinion. <laughs> okay, so I know you were listening to the conversation we just had about electric vehicles yes. and the federal government's targets to transition to 100% electric vehicles. And then you got the interim targets, right? So 20% electric vehicles just within three years. Yeah. Like, is this I've going been to happen? i of these targets from day one. No country's hit their targets. Um, they don't reflect where the public's at in terms of um, the seismic shift that's required to get to some of these targets. So your your previous guest, Heather, was very good, pointed yeah. out the reality yeah. of trying to shift from fossil fuels to electric vehicles. It's not just simply buying another vehicle. All the infrastructure that's, well, it starts with mining. All the mining that has to go in to find these batteries, China controls much of the processing. Yeah, uh, You've got... Um, a huge amount of mining that have to occur to, to produce these batteries. The charging infrastructure. Yeah. Here at the ledge, we've got three electric charging uh, stations, or two, I think, uh, okay. which are, you know, two. the only two I can see in most of Victoria. Um, very few charging stations. People who live in condos, have t- we've had them on the show before, cannot get charging stations at their condos. Yeah. Uh, the stratas don't allow them. So the, the reality of fitting all... All the moving parts into these targets is just why there's so much skepticism attached to them. Not to say electric vehicle is a bad, bad idea. I'd like to buy one yeah, myself, you know. It'd be great. But again, sure. it's uh, the, the reality is you need the parts to make it work. And that means it starts from the ground up. Mining, lithium and cobalt. Many cases in Congo, Congo where child labor is used to mine oh. these batteries, which people want to look the other way. Yeah, yeah and then you got the electrical supply. Where does it come from? There's some analysis. You need a number of Site Cs yeah. to be able to fund all these electric vehicles, along with other industries, notably LNG. You know, there's a, you know, in contrast to this, another poll out today from Research Co., which shows where British Columbians are at in terms of their daily lives. 55% are in favor of LNG in the expansion. Hmm. Uh, which runs counter to um, taking huge steps required to meet these, some of these these uh, emission targets, em- yeah. emission reduction targets. So it's it's a it's a tough road to hoe for governments to try to get to these targets. Okay, let's talk about the mental health promises from Kevin Falcon. So we had sort of dueling announcements yesterday. The government had a youth mental health announcement, and then the Liberals, I think, kind of trumped the government here with this big promise for $1.5 billion in mental health treatments. Let's listen to Kevin Kevin Falcon here. And he made the, I thought it was significant, he made this announcement at the former Riverview Hospital site. Have a listen. And it's the type of treatment model we would dramatically expand by tripling the number of beds at the current Riverview site while adding similar regional facilities right across the province. In addition to investing in people with complex mental health needs, we're going to commit to building an accessible, no-cost, recovery-oriented system of care for anyone struggling with addiction issues. This was a guy who had a reputation as a cost-cutter, a tax fighter, now he's talking about spending billions. $1.5 $1.5 billion over three years. One-third of that is for capital to build facilities, uh, these treatment facilities. Interest, it's, a, it's a major announcement, by the way. There's no yeah. question. I mean, this is, a, this is the first major plank of their election platform. Uh, it's interesting. Falcon has said this before about re- revisiting and reopening the Riverview model. Yeah. Updated. But he did say, again, that in some cases there would have to be involuntary treatment, involuntary confinement, and then we're talking addictions and mental health. 
David Eby also talked about that a few weeks ago. He hasn't talked about that since. I'm not sure that's still Eby's position of whether it should be involuntary confinement uh, with some people who just refuse to seek treatment. So that's that's um, a moving moving narrative with him. But Falcon staked out some interesting territory yesterday. That's, well, that's a major commitment by the Liberals. Let's listen to Falcon on that point. Here he is talking about involuntary, so forced care for people suffering from mental illness and drug addiction. Have a listen. It's a smaller group. It's a, a very much a smaller subset. But there are some folks that I believe we have a moral obligation to society to help people that are incapable at that moment of having the agency to help themselves. Okay, but you've also had the BC Civil Liberties Association, the P- Pivot Legal Society, uh, some of the indi- Indigenous groups in British Columbia who have criticized this concept mm-hmm. of forced care. You talked yesterday about the highly disproportionate number of Indigenous people who are dying, dying from drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about a system would potentially uh, force treatment on a lot of Indigenous people. So well, this is, you know, this is tricky stuff. And the, the BC government had talked about going down this road and then backed off. Yeah, they haven't talked about it much since. Uh, But I think Falcon is more in line with public opinion. BC Civil Liberties Association and Pivotal Legal Society have never been on the side of public opinion. People are getting tired of these random assaults of people who refuse to seek, in some cases, refuse to seek treatment. So, Falcon, it takes, takes a bit of nerve to take that position, but I think the public's online with that. Yeah, and he also talked about making the services free. So we talked about no user fees. So if you yeah. want if you want the if you want the treatment, you need this treatment, you need the services, you wouldn't be faced with a, a user fee well, potentially or long waits. We'll talk more about that later on and, the show. And the other thing, important part of that announcement, it wasn't Riverview focused. It's five yeah. faci- at minimum five facilities outside of or well, one in Metro Vancouver and four right. elsewhere. Well Vancouver Island, the Kootenays Thompson, Okanagan, in the north. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to travel all the way to Metro Vancouver to get treatment. It's going to be there within your region. Right. But it was the Liberals who shut down Riverview. Well, right? it started, it, it, no, to be fair, it started actually under the Socreds. It, it, it was involved, a long process. It was a very long process. Yeah. I think over 40 years. Yeah. And each government sort of signed on to this deinstitutionalization model. Yes. That was the whole, you know, shiny pony for a number of years, and now we're at a point where I don't think uh, governments want to sign up on that anymore. Yeah, I mean, there were concerns about human rights abuses in these facilities, of people were receiving treatments that they, they did yeah. not consent to, or people are being abused in these big institutions. Oh, it was like one flew over the cuckoo's nest right. in, in, in many cases. This was very an outmoded, outdated facility. Uh, what Falcon's talking about, and David Eby too, is revisiting this notion of institutionalization, albeit in a much more modern a comprehensive setting rather than the old way. I think it's touching, it's really touching a nerve with the public here right now too. I think it really resonates with people. Oh, I think it resonates with yeah. people. Everybody's got a story to tell in their neighborhood. Yeah. Mental health is a huge issue. Many people on the streets, um, again, a number of them are refusing treatment. Uh, so Falcon's prescription's uh, going to catch some attention, I think. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the Trudeau liberals here backing down on this ban on some of these hunting rifles and shotguns. This is something we talked about in earlier shows. And we, we predicted. We, yeah, we both said he's going to back down. Yep. Because at one point, you know, you had such a backlash, not only from hunters, but from farmers, indigenous groups, by the way, who were saying, like, do not, yep. do not ban these. These are, these are not assault weapons. These are not military weapons. These are like guns for hunting, hunting. like deer or ducks. Yeah. So, and when Trudeau started saying, well, we're listening, we'll take another look, you knew he was going to back oh, down, sure. and he did this morning. The Liberals like to create these issues to draw the, the Conservatives out of the weeds, get them to support 
the gun lobby, this type of thing, and then, you know, quietly back down. So today they dropped the amendments. Um, we're not going to see that vast scope of guns captured by this. Yeah, but I agree with you, though, because I think that in some ways probably the liberals are looking at this and say, well, this is a bit of a humiliating climb down on this in some in some ways. But on the other hand, I think it's maybe a mission accomplished because what they did was we had three months of talking about this. These amendments were introduced in November. So now you've had three months of the of the conservatives standing up for gun rights. Yeah. And I think th- that's basically the, the optics that the liberals want. That's what the liberals are trying they to do. They want achieve. to talk about gun rights. Yep. Right? They yeah. want to talk about gun control. Most people don't, the vast majority of people don't, do not own guns. And yeah. so when the conservatives pick a, a, a side here and side with the gun people, yeah. uh, that's not a majority of people. But it's, uh, it's an effective tool for the liberals. And they, as you and I predicted some time ago, they had to back down on this because yeah. they were stepping on toes they didn't need to. Oh, no, it's just ridiculous. So you look down the list of some of these, these, uh, these firearms that are being banned, and they're like, you know, they're like duck guns and Everything. like guns that were used by farmers to hunt. Environments, yep. squirrels and stuff. Yep, <laughs> like they're banning these. But I, I'm like I get so I get sin, maybe I start wondering if I'm too cynical. But you start thinking like, is this was this deliberate? Like, did they actually deliberately do this just to just to trigger trigger the conservatives? So oh, to speak. Oh, I think on. the Trudeau government has displayed a, a strategy constantly to, to come up with wedge issues, right, right, and to sort of hammer them home. And at the end of the day, they don't really mean anything at the end of the day because they change positions, but they get people talking about them, yeah, in a way that favors them over their political opponents, right, because they feel this is a good wedge issue for them. Yeah especially in urban ridings, right? Yeah, you know? no, exactly. I, yeah. I mean, these these gun proponents, you know, just the hunting the hunting community does not exist in downtown Toronto or Vancouver. Well, not as much as in rural ridings, which are nowhere near largely conservative. Nowhere near as much. So yeah. the Liberals like to keep that rural-urban divide right. open and visual at all times. There, here's a clip from Trudeau that kind of jumped out at me in this point. So he was asked a while ago about gun control and whether there was a lot of politics you know, is there a lot of politics and gun control? Listen to his answer here. The best way to keep Canadians safe from assault-style weapons, which we banned last March. Uh, but on, on the politics of it, obviously, uh, there are political elements in this. But the core of why we are doing this, the po- core of why Canadians want this done, is to keep our communities safe. Well, yeah. Okay. So the core of it is to keep people safe. But obviously there's some politics going oh, there's on. Always, <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked to see politics involved. I was just in surprised issue. he admitted it in that in that that way where he said, yeah, obviously there's some politics going on. Yeah. yeah well, no kidding. Politics attached to everything governments do. Yeah. And the Trudeau government, as I say, it's part of their, their trademark is to find wedge issues. It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Costa in Vancouver. Hi, Costa. Go ahead. Hello. Hi. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to bring up a point. You you were talking about all these targets for electric vehicles. Yeah. Uh, these are sales targets. So that means, let's say, a 20% sales target just means all the, all the new vehicles, uh, 20% of new vehicles will be, mm-hmm. will be uh, electric. Yep. That it's doesn't mean that 20% of, of the vehicles on the road will be electric at that point. I still think like it's the, a very lofty target. Even even I know it, it, it's a good distinction. It's not 20% of all vehicles. It's 20% of sales. Of, of new vehicles, but it's still, you look at all the moving parts, I just don't see how we're going to attain that. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you're not going to have 20% electric, you know, no. electric vehicles on the road. I mean, obviously gas cars are going to stick around longer than that. Yeah, it, Much longer. the caller is right to, point, to clarify that. It's 20% of all new vehicle sales is the target. Now, in Canada right now, it's about 5% yeah. is what we're selling. 
in Canada. It's a little higher in BC because they got a bit more better incentives and some rebates and stuff. A little bit higher. But it's not that much. So you're talking like, what's that, quadruple? No, triple? Quadruple? Quadruple. You know? So, <laughs> like I spoke to Flavio Volpe. You know this guy. Yeah. He's the head of the uh, auto manufacturers. Auto uh, this guy's really good. And he said, if they hit these targets in three years, I'll buy all of your listeners an electric vehicle. <laughs> this is how confident yeah. he is. So. No, that requires a tremendous amount of mining and processing of minerals yeah. and the establishment of charging stations and the creation of electricity to power those charging stations. And yeah, I don't know near that. John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Go ahead. Hi, uh, Keith. Sounds like you got a bit of a cold there. I do. <laughs> I do. Uh, has anybody, has Trudeau uh, actually thought about what it takes to transport these vehicles? Like if you looked at the giant ships that transport vehicles on the river, the trains that burn all the fossil fuels, the fossil fuels it takes to build them, like tires, for example. They're made out of oil. They, have, they don't have plastic tires yet, you know. No, it takes a lot of fossil fuels to transport and to build these electric cars. Yeah. Yep, that's, that's true. Um, there's an interesting book out about 10 years ago called 90% of Everything, written by a journalist who traveled the world on container ships, cargo ships. And pointed out ninety percent of everything you use yeah. and consume comes from a from a container ship, yeah. which is all fossil fuel. So you can't escape fossil fuels. I mean, it, I'm certainly out of the view that we have to keep ramping up fossil fuel. But the reality is, it's going to take a long time, in a very complicated way, to wean ourselves off something that's been fueling our society for more than a hundred years. Katie in Abbotsford. Hi, Katie. Go ahead. Hi, I was just calling about the announcement for the mental health um, initiatives that are coming up. And I'm so relieved that this is happening. Uh, we have a daughter with borderline personality disorder. And um, when she, first of all, I just wanted to say that um, people with mental health, uh, they, there's so many people that um, can't do something about it, but there's so many people that can do something about it. And it's become, we've moved from where it's been tabooed to have mental health to it's almost a catchphrase now. And, and, um, and when my daughter was started with her borderline personality issues, um, she was the one that knew that something was wrong. And she immediately went to try and find help. And she was turned away from getting help. She was turned away from the hospital. She was turned away from the doctors. Um, because she was not yet at a at a point where they thought that she was too ill. Um, and then she got to the point where she no longer wanted help because she was too far into the mental, mental health issue. Um, so I don't have a problem with some of the involuntary points of it. Um, something has to be done to help people who have not received help at the, at the beginning of things. Thank you, um, thank you, Katie. Thank you. All the best to you and your daughter. It was interesting that the NDP had a bill in front of the House a few years ago that would have allowed the involuntary confinement of young people. Yes. And they had to withdraw it because the Green Party, yeah. this is at a time when they didn't have a majority, um, a, a clear majority. They needed the Green support. This is the previous, uh, before the 2020 election. They had to withdraw that because the Greens wouldn't support it. He thanks a lot. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. 
Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.